Welcome to the Memory Distillery, everyone. I'm Anthony Ranieri. And I'm John Deck, and each week we will malt, mash, ferment, and distill our way through our tots, I mean through the spirits of our past, <laughs> in the form of long-loved movies. And this week... Tina, you fat lard, come get some dinner! <laughs> Tina, eat. Eat the food. Eat the food! <laughs> Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> oh, we're watching Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> we're watching Napoleon Dynamite from 2004, directed by Jared Hess. Um, oh my goodness, it's so funny to listen to that clip. It, I, I'm really looking forward to watching this. I, I think back in the day when it came out. I loved it, and I got it on DVD as soon as it came out. And I did too. I I watched it many times with the commentary, all that good stuff. And then at some point in time, like it just totally faded away, and I didn't watch it like for a long time. So it's well, probably been over, well over ten years since I've seen it. And I just I just recently just brought it back up to you again. I was like, we, we should do this soon or this next week because I just. I really could use a good laugh like that, and I think I'll still think it's hilarious, but maybe I'm over it now. I don't know. But that sound clip makes me think I'm not over it. Well, it's so funny because this was like the most quotable movie of 2004, and everybody was talking like Napoleon Dynamite, and then all of a sudden we just stopped. Like, it, it seems like it was just like a a hard stop at some point that we decided, nope, this is done. We finished this fad. It's over with now. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely probably going to have to, uh, when we put this episode live, include a, a picture of me as Napoleon Dynamite for Halloween. Um, oh, shut up. Because that's, I feel like I owe that to everybody, so. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many great things to remember about this, though. Like the, the, the dialogue and... Like Kip's transformation and the 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 dance scene in front of the the school and stuff like that. Like it's just there's so many cool things to think about with this movie. I'm actually really excited that you brought it up because I I would love to watch. I was thinking about it. Uh, I think I was thinking about it at, like right after we finished recording. Uh, uh, what do you call uh Romeo and Juliet? I was like, oh, you know what I haven't thought about in a long time for for no reason, and then I'm now thinking about is Napoleon Dynamite, and I like had pulled it up and I was looking at something and I'd forgotten about it, and then you met- messaged me the other day and said, hey, let's do Napoleon Dynamite. I'm like, all right, let's do it. It's a sign from the heavens shining down it upon is. us, indeed. Just like wonderful technology. <laughs> I do love technology. Yeah. Um, Not as much as you, you see. <laughs> but still yeah I um yeah I, I i think i don't have much else to say uh other than 
I'll be really disappointed if I come back and we discuss this later and it turns out that it doesn't <laughs> it's a pile of shit. Yeah, that it just I hate it. Like that would really make me sad because uh that'd be like Tommy Boy no longer being funny or something outrageous like that. So <laughs> I'll I'll see after it being such a long time from watching it if I elevate this to like all-time classic or just entertaining or you know where where do I rank this? That's that's what's on my mind. For the record, only one of us doesn't think that Tommy Boy was very funny anymore. I actually still thought it was funny. It was uh, the other one, Black Sheep, that I did not think was funny anymore. I can't uh, believe you don't like Tommy Boy. Everybody, you should really write in and let oh, Anthony know it. how you feel about the fact that he just doesn't like Tommy Boy. I don't get it, but we're not here to talk about Tommy Boy. You son of a bitch. Well, we're going to go and watch this. Uh, it's currently streaming on Hulu, uh, if you want to go check it out there. Uh, or you can get on the various stream rental services if you don't subscribe to Hulu or from your personal library. And when we come back, we are talking about Napoleon Dynamite. John, are you ready? <sighs> I guess so. Then let's do it. Gosh. We're back, everybody. Sounded like you just let the air out of yourself. That's that's what it sounded like for half of this fucking movie. Uh, John, this movie's not good, isn't it? Are well, you saying are you are you arguing with Rotten Tomatoes? I am a little. Well, I I, I think. I gotta, I gotta get this off my chest before we even get into the movie. Okay. Because I gotta, I gotta just do this whole thing where we bring things full circle, totally unintentionally. Okay. Jared Hess, director of Napoleon Dynamite. Uh huh. Is contracted to direct Shanghai Dawn with Jackie Chan. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> That cannot be true. It's, but you it's, you cannot have made that up either. So yeah, if if you trust the internet, I mean, I know the the, oh the details God. on the upcoming end of the trilogy <laughs> for the Shanghai series has been uh, much ballyhooed and not a lot of uh, content yet. But no, that's a that's a true connection as far as the uh, internet w- words tell me. Holy shit. So yeah, I ha- I just couldn't sit on that. I had to get that out of the way first. But now, now we can get into, uh, you know, the the movie. And I, I want to hear I want to hear your unfettered uh, details for your love and or hate, which sounds like you're leaning a bit more towards hate. So I want to well, hear. I don't hate this movie. So uh, there uh, there's a lot of nostalgia tied to this movie for me. My wife and I saw it when it came out. And like she had the vote for Pedro shirt, and like everyone was quoting it because that's what you do. And it was super, super cool in 2004. Uh, and it just sort of fell off. And when you suggested we do this, I was like, oh, there's a thought. Like we can, we can dig up Napoleon Dynamite and do that and see how that turned out. And, 
I'm sitting watching it last night and it just kind of struck me as as a lot of sort of comedic one-offs do as it 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 transformed from comedy to tragedy for me a little bit. You know what it sounds like to me? What? Sounds like you're jealous that I've chatting online with babes all day. <laughs> no, I mean it's 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 I, I do think um I I can't say I had a negative experience, but I didn't have a super positive one either. And that's probably think, a good description of my yeah my watch this time. And I think that the movie itself could be a bit polarizing, of course, because of the pacing and the lack of plot and all those things. But like, it's really more of a, of a character study that it says it's a comedy, but really it's more like absurdist. And if you find that humorous, then it's a comedy. Otherwise you probably just look at it and you're like, this is boring and worthless. And why am I watching this? So to get caught in the middle at any point can give you those feelings of awkwardness. And I'd say as a movie in its entirety, I mean, it'll probably be a long time before I watch it again. Uh, I don't, I don't have the same interest or joy that comes with rewatching certain comedies that really make me laugh and enjoy myself. But there were absolutely certain points or lines or moments that you know made me laugh and appreciate the humor in the movie. Um, but it almost strikes me; it reminds me a bit of some other movies where the joy comes more from sharing it or quoting it or talking about it than the actual movie itself. Agreed. There, this movie is a series of moments yeah. that are enjoyable, but the movie itself doesn't really work. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right in saying that there's not any plot to really speak of because there's not, uh, there's, there's really no actual storyline except that, kid goes to school and gets bullied uh that's really like the the the, the meat and potatoes of this movie there's, there's i can i can i can beat it i can that. do it in two words oh it's like name that tune can you do it in one i can't I'll do it in two all right kid endures oh that's like the the Great value version of the dude abides exactly, and that's what this movie is. <laughs> the kid um, endures. <laughs> the, the, this movie does not have the layers of one Big Lebowski. This movie doesn't have a lot of things. The, the gravitas of a Big Lebowski. Yeah, and granted, the Big Lebowski. If we ever decide to do it for this podcast, oh wait, um, yeah, we should we should get that guy on here. Yeah, we should get that guy on this show. No, um, to compare it to something like that, I know is kind of it's silly because it just is a different realm as a type Cohen of movie. brothers versus Hess brothers just doesn't really work. Um, a comparison that this could get me murderized by people who are fans, but I almost would compare the experience to watching the holy grail uh i'm gonna need you to expound <laughs> upon that because as it stands right now i'm in the murderating uh, exactly side of the house and i believe the correct grammatical term is murderalizing 
Sorry, um, murderalizing. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so <laughs> I just like stirring up controversy. It's not the same, but I do find that, especially in my college years and 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 kind of beyond that, Monty Python's The Holy Grail was a movie that I felt the joy of quoting it and sharing it and having the experience far exceeded the actual movie itself. Now, granted, the movie could be enjoyed on your own. The movie had a plot kind of that, you know, got off rails at times. But like, to me, I kind of felt like... (laughs) As, As a Monty Python do. Yeah. But one of the big differences, well, there's several, but one is that, you know, Monty Python is a you know, they are a comedy troupe that does skits and, and this was, you know, the Holy Grail's skits stitched together on a theme and, and, and it works on that level. Um, I haven't watched, uh, the Holy Grail in quite a while, so maybe that should be on our list of to do's at some point, but I do recall that it was a wildly different experience watching the movie with just a a group of friends and everybody kind of having fun and, and whether they were, you know, quoting along to the movie or just kind of being silly together. And it just had an energy and it was, you know, just a totally different experience. And, you know, if I was like, oh, I, that was funny. I, I want to watch that. And I watched it on my own. And it's like, you know, did I actually even laugh out loud when I was by myself? I can't recall. So there's something to this movie where I have more memories of watching it with friends and, and laughing and quoting and just just reveling in the absurdity of it with other people um, who were all of a like mind. And, and in that you know, hazy buzz of the, you know, mid 2000s when anything goes. Um, but yeah, I, I, in this case, for for the movie itself, so much of it was just kind of a blank, just kind of net nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, I can, I can make you laugh or chuckle and you could do the reverse just by simply saying something like how much you want bet I could throw a football over the mountains. <laughs> like there are great little lines in it. There are You're they're ruining funny. My life. Yeah, like so it's that this movie would not have that impact. We wouldn't be able to laugh and enjoy the quotes to it if it was just nonsense, dumb, horrible, which it's not. But yeah, I it, think it, that it isn't. The lack of cohesion to a story for me at this point in my life, it kind of hurts and keeps me from really <laughs> enjoying uh, the movie on, on a certain level. So that that's my theory. There, so there's a lot to be said for this movie in terms of the place that it holds in pop culture. Like it absolutely holds and deserves a place in pop culture. Like this, this is not a a movie that after watching it now in 2021 i would just go this is garbage and it's not worth the the film that it was you know printed onto but you're right like it's this is something that i feel like today you would have to really like sit down with friends and make a thing of it and like it has to be people who've seen it before and then maybe you're bringing in one or two like newbies into the whole thing who haven't seen it and you're introducing them to it like that's that's something that i could see doing with this movie sitting down and watching it by yourself for nostalgia's sake is going to leave you kind of disappointed now you mentioned monty python and the holy grail i recently watched that probably 
it, it's within the last three years. It might have been shortly after we started doing this podcast. And I don't, I, I, I want to do this on the show, but it needs to be in the right setting. And I feel like doing this as another commentary track would probably be the right environment for that. And maybe we even bring in a couple of people hmm. to do it with us because it, it, this, the Monty Python on the Holy Grail is a more the merrier kind of movie. Like it, it's not something that you just sort of get one or two people together and, and sit down and watch it and then talk about it. Like it's something that you, you, you have to kind of have an experience doing. Yeah. And I think that getting a bunch of nerds together, like you, me, Alex and Fernando and Wiley all get together and watch this. Like I think that that would be a really cool way to uh, to to experience it and for our audience to experience it because for us to just sit and then pull plot points and talk about it in the way that we do, you know, hackers or or the Big Lebowski or uh, Napoleon Dynamite, like it just doesn't work. Yeah. Well, fair enough. That's our plans for the future. Back to the intricacies of this movie. Yes. What um, were they? Well, you know, I think <laughs> there was... It's funny, again, to break things into points and segments, because it's kind of like when you watch a Jackie Chan movie with a hovercraft in it, and every time thereafter you see a hovercraft, you'll think of, like, this movie... You know, like that that element that happened. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I've actually seen a hovercraft on something since we watched um, Rumble in the Bronx. And of course, it was, you know, only a few days later. But like, I think I'll always. Wait, what did you see a hovercraft on? There's this TV show. I'm trying to remember the name. It's something with Bear Grylls where he has celebrities and they go out in the wild. It's like into the wild or going wild or I don't know what it is. But uh, I just had it on and. At the end of it, uh, I think it was perhaps he and Rob Riggle or Dave Batista or someone like that. They got picked up by a hovercraft at the end. That's fucking wild to me. And so I was like, oh, all right, then. There you go. Um, so I thought of that. But like in here, like anytime I hear references to tots, you know, tater tots or chapstick or nunchucks or like... There's so many different objects and things that are referenced in this movie in particular ways that like, you know, almost 20 years later, I, I hear it and I, I think of the movie in some way. So like or a liger, you know, or, you know, like <laughs> some of these are more rare than others. But, you know, if uh, if anyone mentions talons, you know, in reference to birds, dinos Do dinosaurs, talons, like. Boy, I don't understand a word coming out of your mouth. <laughs> but like there there's all those like reflection points and like i said the, the great quotes and things it's it's such a weird interesting movie in that regard and i almost like as a compliment i almost would compare it to kind of the new zealand kiwi sense of humor in that like weird awkward dry kind of way because uh, again i really don't think that this is a comedy unless it's your sense of humor. Like other movies, I may not like it, but you can't deny it's a comedy, you know? Like, right. But this is a movie that I feel like it's just so weird and deadpan enough that 
you a person could legit watch this and not know it's a comedy if they didn't hear other people talking about it or anything. They just came across it all on their own. They might just not understand what's happening. I'm sure that this is a thousand percent a comedy in like within 30 miles of Preston, Idaho, <laughs> where this was shot. Like the, this is sort of quintessential Mormon Idaho. And you, you can tell, especially if you live in Mormon country like I do and like John used to, like there, there are many hallmarks to that sort of culture. Like nobody curses and, and like there's, it's just it's very like they're shopping at the di the desert industries which yeah. is the, like the local thrift store uh it, it's it's very much uh a a, a localized like it, this probably if it didn't get wide release would have done like gangbusters at the idaho falls film festival if if they have a, an idaho falls film festival like cuz this is that area that surrounding area and would like people would totally just eat this shit up there and i'm i i cannot imagine that they didn't like everybody who lives there watched this movie and went oh yeah i know that place and oh that's that's totally something we say like it just has to be that way now i i there's one thing i take issue with and and that you said that like there's there's no swearing in this movie but Number one, Napoleon does say, heck yes, I'd vote for you. <laughs> so that's kind of, that's pretty, that's pretty intense. Also, pretty, pretty close to a swear. He does call Tina a fat lard. That Oh, see, that's not nice. So, you know, like, I, I think you probably forgot about that. So it's probably why it's rated PG instead of G because be of those extreme circumstances. Um. But, you know, sometimes you, you got to kind of laugh because it's just like when a steak hits you in the face when you're riding a bike. It's just <laughs> one of those things you can't avoid and you just have to. That shot fucking killed me. It kills me every time I see it. And I I forgot it was coming. <laughs> Uncle Rico goes, watch this and fucking hits Napoleon in the face with a steak. And I just lost it. <sighs> yep. So, yeah, I, I feel like it, it's tough. It's, it's, you know, I'm not going to say I was dreading having this conversation about this movie because dread's not the right word, but I came into this just thinking, how, how do I or we talk about this movie for more than a couple of minutes without only quoting it or referencing a moment, you know, this moment or that moment or that <laughs> moment, because there's just nothing else to it. And so it's almost like we have to create a different avenue for conversation um, you know, which of course we could do perfectly fine because we go on tangents all the time. Oh, we're we're professionals at tangenting. But like, what? Just when you watch the movie, I don't know if you can separate like what you actually know in your head versus what you capture when you're watching it. What era does it feel like the movie is set in? That's a good question because there's there's a couple of sort of overlapping era type things like it's it's very low tech in terms of like what's available to them like kip is you know dialing into a, a and and grandma's paying by the minute for an internet connection to go into chat rooms like so that's very sort of quintessential early internet late 90s kind of kind of vibe there but then uncle rico takes a phone call on a cell phone so there's there's that so you know 
it could be late 90s because Uncle Rico would be the kind of guy to get a cell phone in the late 90s and pay fucking $4 a minute for a phone call. But then on the same token, like it could just be early 2000s and there just doesn't happen to be high-speed internet in this town. So I would say it, it, it's it's almost... It's it's almost time relevant to when it was made and slash uh, released, but it could easily be 10 years in the past of that time. Yeah, I feel like a lot like you have Rico, who's, you know, <laughs> daydreaming about time traveling back to 1982 <laughs> uh, in order to go win state. But like there there are elements that are kind of 80s-ish in terms of some of the fashion choices and a lot of the vehicles you see are like you know 80s maybe early 90s so much parachute pants a lot of par- parachute pants moon boots obviously things that really <laughs> really moon boots oh things that were God. popular in the in like the late 80s and so at the same time you're in Preston Idaho and it's kind of you know that whole like if they're shopping at a you know a localized version of a thrift store, you know, like the, the fashion, you know, even Napoleon's suit that he wears, you know, to the dance, like all these things they are, you know, I have these vibes <laughs> of these seventies carryovers into, you know, early mid eighties fashion. And the, those, those kinds of vibes, the, some of this and Deb's side ponytail. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of that, but like, even within the movie itself, it's definitely set in like, somewhere around 2004 and so because like napoleon's school id says like something like something 2004 2005 something like that in the very beginning when they're doing the credits so like it kind of calls out or, or labels you know this being the current time um so it's more just like a land the time forgot kind of feeling which i think works you know the 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 house itself grandma's house why why would it be you know fancy and updated anytime in 2000 you know that that's a house from the 70s you know that was decorated back then and nothing's changed by the way i do i do enjoy making the connection this time around that i haven't the last time i watched you know with uh their grandma being max mom from uh always sunny oh yeah <laughs> like so that was just a fun connection but um but yeah so it's just interesting that the whole dealing with time and 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 you know, that was back in a time when people drew uh, with pencils, you know, so that hasn't happened for like 20 years in real life. Right, exactly. You know, actually, it, I'm, I'm, it's funny that you bring up the whole time thing, because what it makes me think of is there was an episode of South Park kind of early on, and this guy was frozen in ice, and they like thawed him out, and he was okay, but he was from like 39 months like he had gotten frozen 39 months earlier and the joke was that nobody understood what he was saying because language is like evolved so quickly <laughs> and so he and they, they ended up sending him to des moines where they were exactly 39 months behind in everything and he lived out his days in des moines but like it, it was it, it, it the, the whole stuck in time thing kind of reminded me of that like oh yeah this this is a place that maybe isn't as up on the times in 2004 as other places are. Yeah. I can't argue with that. Um, But what I can argue is the character of Napoleon Dynamite. Interesting choices because he's not like very likable. Would you agree? 
Oh, I would absolutely agree with that. He is, uh, he, he, yeah, he, he's annoying. He's got like an air of arrogance. Unearned arrogance. Yeah. Very unearned. (laughs) Unearned arrogance that offsets what our other senses tell us this, you know, like this, this isn't earned, (laughs) you know, this isn't right. Um, so he's not like this sympathetic loser, sympathetic nerd who gets picked on and we're, we're trying to see him just be himself and fight through it. And we're like cheering him on all the way. It's like, he's just going to exist regardless of how we feel. And we just have to watch it. Like that's, you know, it's like such a departure from almost every type of storytelling in movies, especially when you're dealing with like coming of age or high school or, you know, any kind of movies like this, the, the main person usually you know, the protagonist is going to have some level of sympathy that is played for in like a hundred different ways, but that just doesn't happen here. And like, and you could say really the only victory that he, he gets, you know, himself in this movie is the dance sequence. Yeah. Because it's the one thing that he actually does for himself and like actually learns as opposed to, I have sweet bow hunting skills and I shot fifth, like 50 Wolverines with a freaking 12 gauge. What do you yeah. think? Well, I mean, uh, what would you do if there were, if there know, were Wolverines yeah. attacking all my cousins, yeah. I'd shoot them with a freaking 12 gauge. Gosh. Yeah, exactly. But like, I mean, I, I was specifically kind of thinking in regards to like the character of Napoleon being sympathetic and, and having us care and having it have any connection at all. Because I feel not only all the stuff that you said, you know, is true, especially about the Wolverines, but also like everything else has always just been about him. He's Mm -hmm. selfish and he's a crybaby and he wants everything and he wants he's just wants people to bring him chapstick and he wants people to take care of him. And and he and he likes to nag on people. Yeah. And, you know, he he, absolutely so practically the worst video ever made. Yeah. And, And it's like. You have all that going on, but then the dance is something he does for Pedro that, you know, he is not, he wasn't planning, he wasn't yearning for it. And this was his one chance, you know, he, he sells the idea like, okay, he just has to do it because, okay, you know, it's for him and it matters because he's his friend. And like, so it's like, it's the one redeeming thing in terms of his character. And then, uh, of course, after that, you know, even at the very end of the movie, when you have the the soundtrack going and he's walking down the street and he's just observing, you know, the, as things get wrapped up, it's like you just feel a little bit differently about his character then than you did throughout the first like 80 minutes of the movie, because like he's finally redeemed himself to be a character that's actually worth being OK with. I mean, yeah, you hate him a little less, but. How how much less are we talking here? Because it's not, I'd say I'd say it's, it's not to some great degree. Like he's still a pain in the ass. Somewhere like, between here, somewhere between zero to, to six. Mostly just a movie about a kid is a liar to compensate for not actually knowing anything. Yeah, like that's that's like if I had to sum the whole movie up in one sentence, that would be it. Because it's really what it's about. Like he he likes to he does that stereotypical thing where he's like. Oh, I was going to invite my girlfriend, but she's in Oklahoma doing a modeling thing or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's that's the same as having a girlfriend 
on the internet in uh you know canada or whatever all right i i i've changed my mind the two word description now is liar endures <laughs> uh you talked about the moon boots he sticks to those fucking boots like glue did you ever have moon boots i did not okay so here's the thing about moon boots they're really hard to take off <laughs> like the only scene where he's not wearing them is i want to say it's just the scene like for the dance like where he's in the suit everything else he's uh he's wearing those moon boots and even on the horse <laughs> like if you guys uh, listeners dear listener if you haven't already pause this movie pause this podcast and go watch after the credits of the movie because there's another like five minutes after that and he's on a horse wearing moon boots i won't spoil it any further than that for you but he's wearing the moon boots on a horse uh and it's just it like it's completely bizarre to me that's uh, again that's just a cultural thing you know uh you're too young uh you is that what it is i'm too young to get it i don't think you were around in 2004 um so. i was huh i maybe it's because i wasn't around preston idaho oh that's what it is i mean i wasn't uh, either but i i owned and wore moon boots so i get it i bonded uh, <laughs> you, you related hard to that scene like so first of all wearing moon boots uh are, they're like the hottest shoes in the world um, hot as in temperature yeah. right not as both, in both. Uh, look because <laughs> no but it's both but but no tem- okay temperature is what i was talking about they're so hot like I, I would wear them, you know, when it would snow and be horrible out because they're more or less waterproof. And when you're a kid, you don't have fancy boot options, or I certainly didn't. I didn't even really, I, I haven't even, I didn't wear galoshes until I was in my 40s. So, like, I never experienced that as a kid. But uh, the, the moon boots, however, first of all, I enjoyed the fact that they kind of had like a built-in sole that made you about three inches taller, almost like platform shoes. <laughs> but like you need that fucking stretch. Right. But it, I enjoyed it even more, you know, especially when I was younger before I towered over every human. Um, no, but like, so there's that, but like they're hot. They create like a suction seal and, and maybe at least just the ones I had. And to really to take them off, it would like turn the entire boot inside out the lining like because it would just slide it off and it would just like peel your feet out. It was just, and then you'd have to like use your hand to shove the lining back into the boot so you could put your feet back in it later. And they were a horrible pain. I never enjoyed them, but they were like a necessity because the only thing I hated worse than them was like wet feet in the winter. Oh, yeah, that's terrible. So. So, yeah, so that's that's my my big tie to this movie. Moon boots. And they're the one aspect I couldn't find when I was doing my Halloween Napoleon Dynamite costume. I couldn't even order them online. Like, no, you can't. I mean, you can if you have smaller feet than mine. Um, but like, I feel you can just make those though. Like, you could just get some black duct tape and like wrap them around a boot, and then just sort of, I don't know, cinch it down with 
fishing wire to to make the the Michelin Man rings or whatever. <sighs> this is how to make moon boots with Anthony and John. I mean, everything you said there was flawless. Um, and I mean, it does remind me a bit of Zoolander uh, and Derelict. <laughs> Derelict, my balls. <laughs> we got can do Zoolander. God. That I mean, that with Zoolander, how's that going to stack up with Napoleon Dynamite? Because on the one hand, it has a plot. I feel like we would walk out of that episode more satisfied. Yeah. Probably by a factor of two at least. I, I, I hate to admit Napoleon it, Dynamite. But you're probably right. Uh... <laughs> Last thing I had here, uh, going back to it, because you brought it up with the the school ID, the title sequence of this movie was very unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that it was a, a nice take on like how to do a title sequence. And yeah, they, they still did the traditional end credit as well. But it was it, it was a throwback to sort of the older film era where you did a longer title sequence with you know, starring and directed by and written by and all that other kind of stuff. Uh, but to, to have it be sort of a live action shot kind of deal where somebody's holding a thing and, and I, I would imagine it's John Heater who played Napoleon Dynamite, like holding stuff nope. and like take, no, oh, it wasn't? Nope. Was it one of the Hesses? Yes, one of the Hesses. But, uh, the, I just happen to remember this from the uh, extra scenes or whatever from back in the day, whatever you call those things on DVD uh, bonus features. Yeah, that's it. Uh, so it was Jared Hess holding these things, except when it was picked up by Fox, uh, you know, at uh, Sundance or whatever, when they and they were going to well, actually they picked up the short, I think, and then they made the film. But, and then it was right because this was a short first. Yeah. yeah. And they showcased it before they uh, finished it. The the studio said that they basically don't like Jared's hands because <laughs> they had like hangnails and they were kind of a little rough and beaten up and, and like that looked kind of old. They wanted like younger hands. So they had like they're like, well, so they got David Duchovny. Well, like from they were Zoolander as yes, a hand model. That would make sense. And that would be great. But no, they Bring actually just have Zoolander. Um, I've. I can't remember if they actually got a hand model, but they definitely use different people in their production to hold things and reshoot certain sequences, I guess. But some of them are Jared's hands. So I think it's just funny to imagine that, you know, this very like it's simple to do the opening sequence. It's unique. It's it's interesting what they chose to do. But then to have that, of all things, be where the studio comes down and says, nope, I'm going to need you to change this. It's like, what a weird world to live in where like that. <laughs> Your hands didn't test well with our uh, our, our test audience in Vegas. So uh, we're going to need you to reshoot the title card. Like we're, we're not going to we don't have any problems at all with the characterizations of people in this, you know, hometown Idaho. You know, we don't have any you know issues with. You know, you uh, electrifying your your balls with the time machine thing. <laughs> like these are all great and funny. Leave that in. But oh, those hands in the opening credits, we're gonna need you to take a step back and really do some reshoots and, and get that going because you know that matters. 
That's our show, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to us each and every week as we distill another favorite from our past. We have new episodes every Monday, so come and check us out on all the different podcast apps like Apple and Google and Spotify and Stitcher and all those other ones. Uh, We're out there making episodes. And, hey, come check us out at tmdpod.com as well. That's our website. That's where our episodes are listed, and it's usually up to date. So come and see us there. John. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes it's not up to date, and I don't know whose fault that is. It could be mine. It, it, fucking fire the web guy. It could be someone else. Who knows? I mean, who, 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 why blame people? That's a negative energy we don't want to bring to the end of the show. Instead, let's focus <laughs> on uh, the fact that this had a pretty decent soundtrack. Uh, the, it, and, oh, you know, we didn't talk about the soundtrack. Yeah. Let's, hold on. Let's, let's stop the closer here for a second. We're going to stop the closer. We'll pick it back up right where we left off. The soundtrack for this movie was fucking pretty good. Yeah. Like, dude, fucking Jamiroquai. Jamiroquai, White Stripes. Yeah, like, I was really digging on it. And even the score, I think, really kind of fit that little indie feel. Like, uh, there were things that just, like, okay, I, I like these elements. I like what, what, what they did here. Um, so, yeah, so the, the, the I think the music had some, some nice elements. And, again, kind of lent a sense of timelessness where you don't quite understand if you're in, in like the the 90s or if you're in like 2004 like who knows but again it's idaho well you talk about the score there that was one thing that was sort of i wouldn't say off-putting but it, it was definitely noticeable when you compare it to other movies there wasn't a lot of scoring to this right like this movie, a lot of what you're hearing rather than a score is background noise. Like there's a lot of birds chirping and, you know, the bus and tractors and that old guy shooting the cow. <laughs> like, would, why? Oh, I want to talk about that too. Why would you do that in the middle of the field? Like, why wouldn't you take that cow you're in somewhere Preston, closer Idaho. to where you are going to slaughter it? Than out next to the road. That's just life. I mean, sometimes you're just in a field and you just look down in your hands. What's that? It's a shotgun. What's that next to you? It's a cow. Well, this was going to happen sometime. Might as well do it now. School bus? Okay. Bam. Done. Ah! <laughs> Fucking screaming kids. Unbelievable. But yeah, there there really was. They did a lot of that silence, which again goes back to the whole thing of was this movie a comedy? And if you know nothing about it and you're not watching it with anyone else and you're that's not your sense of humor, I think the lack of music and the lack of any words or sounds in certain scenes and the, just the emptiness of it could just come across like a, just a dull thud. Like it could just be nothing and leave you feeling like an empty shell of a human being. Yeah, agreed. Very much so. Now we can say the, now the music you, in our podcast. Where, where did our music come from, John? It came from the White Stripes. Did it? Um, and by the white stripes, I mean semaphore. Yeah, I was gonna say you check your notes real quick. Yeah, because the notes say that the song is entitled "Destroying the Evidence." I've never heard the song, but everyone keeps telling me it's really good. So I think all of you should probably listen to it and check out uh, semaphore's other work as well, and you know, make them a part of your everyday life. Uh, I'm pretty sure one of these days we're gonna have a viewer write in and talk about how they name their third baby semaphore. And when that happens. <laughs> I want to make sure that you reach out to the memory distillery at gmail.com to tell us about it so we can share it on the podcast. Um, I suppose if you have other thoughts about 
movies or the podcast or anything else you want to share, that's a great place to reach us or hop on Facebook and uh, just go to the Memory Distillery uh, page and join in our conversation there. Um, but mostly uh, we just uh, like to keep coming back week after week to thank you all uh, for listening. That's the word I have I kind of blanked for a minute <laughs> because my brain is kind of melted. Thank you uh, for smelling our show or whatever sense you used. Yeah. Thanks for having nothing but chicken related products for lunch. And <laughs> oh God, that was so gross. That really was the worst part of the whole movie to me. Um, <laughs> that like two minute sequence is the worst thing I've ever experienced in my life. And other things that I've experienced in my life is uh, going on Instagram at TMD pod. It was fun too. I can't. I can't do this anymore. I think we have to just get out while I'm still alive and move on to the next. Instagram, movie. Twitter at TMD Pod, Facebook.com/slash The Memory Distillery. Take us home, John. All right. Thanks again for listening. I am John Deck, and I'm Anthony Veneri, and this has been The Memory Distillery. Peace out. <laughs> <laughs>